0: And thank you dr jim you know god is uh, kind to us is he not paul would often write when he wrote to the different places he would say grace to you and peace from god our father and the lord jesus christ he was reminded every day that one day while he was walking down a road he was arrested and his life was changed by jesus christ James wrote in his little book, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. So if there is anything good in life, we know its source, its source is God, who is the giver of every good and perfect gift, and the and the most wonderful gift is the gift of grace and mercy, isn't it? Today we're going to gather around the Lord's table and be reminded of that, and I'm excited about that. And but we're going to look at an Old Testament passage today before we do that in Leviticus chapter 23. Now don't let that scare you too bad because it points right here to this table that we're going to partake of. We've been going through the seven feasts in the Old Testament in Leviticus 23 on Sunday nights. But tonight's became this morning's because today, tonight's was on the Day of Atonement. And it works perfectly with the Lord's Supper. So we're going to do that today today. And we've been learning about these seven special feasts in the book of Leviticus, special holidays that God gave, seven of them. Isn't that interesting? The number of perfection. And we found out that these feasts all point to Jesus. They're all a shadow of something that's already happened or something that's going to happen. And it's just really wonderful to see when you read about these feasts, it is wonderful to see how God has always been in charge. He's in charge now and he's going to be in charge in the future. So it's pretty cool because, for lack of a better word, because it just gives you greater confidence when you read this that he knows what he's doing. You ever feel like you don't know what you're doing? I say you ever feel like you know what you're doing? Aren't you glad somebody does? And so that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, It was no coincidence that Jesus died on Passover. And that's the first feast we looked at. The Bible says that Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's the first feast, the feast of the Passover. The second was the feast of unleavened bread. That's where they would clear all of the leaven out of their homes and keep it out of there for an entire week so that they would be reminded leaven was a representation of sin. And so they had to remove it from their homes and their lives and concentrate on God. And Jesus was buried on the day of unleavened bread because Jesus had no leaven, no sin. And so Jesus died on Passover, was buried on unleavened bread. And the next feast was the feast of first fruits. That was when they would take the first fruits and present them to God. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. So the first fruits, was a reminder of the resurrection, a foreshadowing of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he died on Passover, he's buried on unleavened bread, he was raised on first fruits. And then the next one was the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost, Pente, fifty, Pentecost took place fifty days after the Feast of First Fruits, and it was the celebration of God's provision for them. Well, Pentecost in the New Testament represents the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the church. You remember that they were all gathered in the upper room on the day of Pentecost. And that's the day that this big sound like this mighty rushing wind came and these flames of fire came and distributed it, itself not on to one or two individuals, but to on each one of them. And there's great significance of that because You see, now the Holy Spirit has come to stay. He's come to rest on each of us when we trust in Christ. He comes to live within us. So the day of Pentecost in the Old Testament pointed to that day when the Spirit would come and stay. And it would be the birth of the church. And the church would have its mission to continue to reach out to people in the name of Jesus until the next feast that we talked about. We talked about this one last week. It's the Feast of Trumpets. Now, trumpets were used in the Old Testament to call people to war. You remember uh, that they would blow the trumpet? You remember when they marched around Jericho? What did they do on the seventh time around? They blew the trumpets and they shouted and the walls came tumbling down. But it was also the trumpet that called people together for worship. So the Feast of Trumpets in the Old Testament was a reminder that there's going to be a trump because the Bible says... The Bible says that when Jesus comes, there's going to be a blast of a trumpet and the voice of the archangel and the dead in Christ will rise first. And so it's representative of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that the angels will go from the four corners of the earth and gather up all of the children of God. What a glorious day that's going to be. And so you've got Passover, the death and unleavened bread, the burial and and first fruits the resurrection, and then the feast of trumpets, which was the the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the foreshadowing of that. And so now we're living in between we're, we're living in between Pentecost, the birth of the church, and the Feast of trumpets when the trumpet sound comes, we're living in the age of the church, when the church is to be about the business of our Lord Jesus Christ. So that brings us to the one we're going to look at this morning, the sixth feast, and it was called the Day of Atonement. What is the Day of Atonement? We're going to look at the definition first of all. You've heard of Yom Kippur, right? You hear about that every year. The Jews celebrate Yom Kippur. That's that's the English translation of Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and that's why we say Day of Atonement instead of Yom Kippur because the preacher can't say it. But anyway, uh, it the word atonement means to be covered or to be ransomed. It's it, it's a covering for our sin. a it's a holy day in the eyes of god if you look in leviticus chapter 23 and beginning in uh, and look at verse 27 there it says on exactly the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement it shall be a holy convocation for you and you shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the lord and so the first thing is that it was a holy day. And the word holy in the Bible, Old and New Testament, means to be set apart. Set this day apart so that you can set yourselves apart. So it was a holy day, a holy convocation to God. As a matter of fact, it was the most important day really on the Jewish calendar because they needed their sins forgiven and, and it was to atone for all of the sins of the past year. So it was a holy day. It was something they were to take very seriously seriously. It's kind of like when we come to this table. We're not supposed to come to it flippantly. We're supposed to come with a humble. And that's the second part. It was not only a holy day, but it was a humble day. You see what he said to them in the end of that verse? Uh, the next part of that verse, it says, You shall humble your souls and present an offering by fire to the Lord. It was not only a holy day, but a humbling day. You come humbly. The word there means, it means, uh, literally, it can mean to cause pain is it ever is it painful is confession painful? Well, confession is good for the soul, but sometimes we look into our souls and our hearts and we understand that there's guilt, there's shame, there's pain, there's things to deal with. Maybe your relationships have broken down. Maybe your relationship to God is not where it needs to be. So there should be a sense of pain and angst there when we come humbly before God. We don't come to the Lord's table flippantly. We come with a sense of We come with a sense of humility and we come with a sense of rejoicing that Jesus has taken the punishment for every sin on in his own body on the cross so that you and I could have forgiveness. And so the Day of Atonement is about that. It's about holiness. It's about humility. And then also it was about hope. It it was a hopeful day, the Day of Atonement. Why was it a day of hope for the children of Israel? Because... They were hopeful that God would accept the sacrifice that was given on their behalf. Because you see, if God didn't accept the sacrifice, there would be no forgiveness. The word atonement speaks of reconciliation. It it also, as I said earlier, it could be translated ransom. A price has to be paid in order for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, The price in the Old Testament was about the goats that Natalie was talking about earlier. We're going to look at that in a minute. But... There has to be, God required the shedding of blood for the forgiveness of sins. The scripture is very clear about that. Even going all the way back to Adam and Eve, you remember when they sinned against God and God came to the garden and said, "Uh, Adam, where are you? And, And Adam said, I was naked, so I hid myself. And God said, Who told you you were naked? He knew something was up because there'd never been any shame before. No, no one would had ever, you know, Adam and Eve never even thought about it. They were there was no shame. Everything was in a perfect world, and then suddenly, there was shame and guilt, and they took these leaves and sewed them together and tried to make these coverings for themselves. But the Bible says that God took the skins of animals and He covered Adam and Eve by His grace. Is how He did that. Where did He get the skins? Well, He had to get them by sacrificing animals so that's the word here. It's the word for covering he covered their shame he covered their guilt before him it's really an incredible picture of the grace of god so that's what atonement means now how do we describe this day of atonement what took place on the day of atonement caused their sin to be forgiven and helped them not only to be forgiven as individuals but as a nation so If you think about what Paul said in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24, he he helps us to understand what the law is for. What's the purpose of the law? He says, therefore, the law, and when I say law, I don't mean the laws of the United States of America, although, you know, most laws of any country basically come from the laws of God, don't they? They've been, you know, they've been changed and reworked, but still, they go all the way back to the laws of God and biblical law. So anyway... Uh, We're talking about the law of Moses that God gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Paul says, therefore, the law has become our tutor. Now, what's a tutor? That's someone that helps you, that helps you learn, (laughs) that helps you see. Have you ever, how many of you ever had a tutor or you had a teacher that had to help you work through a problem and get it? Yeah, all of us have. I, (laughs) I used to have to do that a lot. I had a math teacher in high school. She was wonderful, but I never got it on the first time. She would put it up on the board and put us all to work, and I would have to walk up to her desk, and she would go through it with me again, and then it would click. So slow learner, right? But I got it. She was a tutor. She was like an instant tutor. Thankfully, she was very patient. And once I got it, it was okay. That's the law. He says the law is the tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. The law is the one who helps us is is the tutor that helps us to see our need. I needed help and I needed to how to figure out my problem and she would tell me and it would click and I would get it. That's the the purpose of the law. The law tells me that I'm not supposed to steal, I'm not supposed to kill, I'm not supposed to covet, I'm not supposed to be have a I'm not supposed to commit adultery. And then Jesus comes along and raises all that to another level. He says you're not even supposed to look at someone to have lust. And so the law condemns me because, you see, most of us have either. Have you ever lied in your whole life? Yeah, bunch of liars. Uh, you know, most of us have lied. We've taken something that wasn't ours, even if it was just when we were a kid. We've looked at someone in ways we should not have looked at them. We, you know, and so God is dealing with a bunch of, of lying, stealing, unfaithful people. Even if it just happens in your heart, that's all of us. So the law is our tutor that tells us that we're undone, that we've got to have help. And, and it leads us to Christ. And that was, was, that's what was at, atonement was all about. The Bible says the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. For the law, Jesus said, was given through Moses. Grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. Now, understanding the Day of Atonement, look back with me to Leviticus chapter 16. And there's a more detailed account there of how atonement happened in the Old Testament. Now look at verse 2. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil. What in the world does that mean? Well, there's a there was this um, tabernacle, and there was, I wish I, I should have gotten a picture for you. But there's a tabernacle, there's an outer court. But then in the middle, there's this sanctuary. And in the sanctuary, there was a a holy place which you could go into. The priest could go in there day by day. But then there was the Holy of Holies. And in that place called the Holy of Holies, there was a thing called the Ark of the Covenant. It was a golden box made of gopher wood and overlaid with pure gold. And there was these two angels that faced each other on the top of the box. And, you know, God told Moses to make this. And, Moses, and he had it made, and it sat in the middle of the Holy of Holies. And it represented the presence of God with his people. And and in the middle of what they call the mercy seat, where the angels came together, it wasn't really a seat, it was not a place to sit down, but it was, it was the place that represented the presence of God, and the power of God, and the healing of God, and the judgment of God, and, and the attributes and the characteristics of God. So God said, don't go in there. If you go in there, you're going to die. You see, you and I are not capable of entering into the presence of a holy God. It would be so overwhelming on our own that it would just kill us. <laughs> he is that powerful, that mighty, that holy. And so God says, don't go in there, but I'm gonna, I've got a system for you. I'm gonna get, you're going to have a high priest, and the high priest, I'm going to let him come in there once a year, and he's going to make atonement for his sins and the sins of all the people. And so there was this mercy seat, and the, holy, the priest could go in there once a year. But the first thing the priest had to do was take care of himself. Look at verse 4 of Leviticus 16. It says, He shall put on the holy linen tunic, and the linen undergarments shall be next to his body, and he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with linen turban. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. So the first thing he had to do was get himself ready. And he had to put on these white garments. White, white represents what? Righteousness. So, and he had to clean himself up. It was a ceremonial thing, but God said, "Just you, you can't go in there flippantly. You better take this seriously." And so, he, the first thing he had to do was prepare himself. And after he washed, he would put on this wardrobe. In Hebrews chapter three, verse one, it says, "Therefore, holy brethren." Partakers of a heavenly calling consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. So Jesus is the apostle. The apostle means one who is sent. But he's also our high priest. In the Old Testament, they had a high priest. Was the high priest in the Old Testament sinless? No, he wasn't. He was just another guy. But he was chosen by God. But he had to clean himself up. And he had to make atonement for his own sin. But when Jesus came, did he have to make atonement for his sin? No, he was sinless. The Bible says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin on your behalf and mine that we might become righteous in him. Isn't that glorious that God would do that? And when you take this bread and this cup this morning, I want you to think about that. He made him who knew no sin to become sin that I and that you might become righteous in him. That we may stand before God forgiven and clean. It's an incredible thought, isn't it? And so Hebrews chapter 7, let me read this to you. The former priests, on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. And otherwise, they kept dying off. And so you had to get new ones to replace them just like now. You know, someday I'm going to die if Jesus don't come back. And you'll have to get some other guy up here, right? Or <laughs> You're saying, boy, I hope, you, I hope you don't stay till you die. But anyway... Uh, But uh, Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he's able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. Glory be to God. For the law appoints men as high priests who are weak, but the worthy oath which came after the law appoints a son. So there was preparation. He had to to fix his attire, but he also had to prepare the animals. And that's the last part. We're going to look at this verse 5. Look at verse 5. Uh, he shall take from the congregation of the sons of Israel two male goats for a sin offering and one ram for a burn offering. Okay? And then look down at verse 7. He shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. Aha! The scapegoat. Uh, and if you look, if in your Bible, if you have little side notes or footnotes like mine, the, the word scapegoat can literally mean goat of removal. Have you ever had anything in your house that just stunk? I mean, don't point to anybody. But you know how it gets when the when the garbage doesn't get taken out or it's left in the garage and you can't wait for the garbage people to come by it needs to be removed big time bad that's kind of the idea behind the scapegoat the scapegoat you see your your sins and mine are a stench in the nostrils of god but god would allow that one goat to be sacrificed and the other Taken away, And he has taken away our reproach, the Bible says. He's taken away the stench of our sin before God and carried it far away through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's really an amazing, no wonder we sing about his amazing grace. So not only did he come to redeem us from our sin, to buy us back for God, but to release us and give us freedom. So let me ask you this this morning. Before we come to the table. These two questions. Have you been redeemed from your sin. Through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you been bought by his blood. Have you trusted him. As your own personal savior. By repentance and faith. And then secondly. Are you living in the release. That he has bought for you. Remember. He's not only our sacrifice. But he's also our scapegoat. Who has taken our sins as far as the east is from the west, as Natalie told the kids. And has given us freedom. You see, the enemy, we have an enemy, you remember? We've got an enemy. He wants to come and and his job until Jesus comes again and throws him into the lake of fire is to accuse, 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 trip and stumble, trip us up, make us stumble. And so he's going to come along and say, you're not worthy, you're not worthy, you're not worthy. And you know what we say? I know it, I know it, I know it. But I'm covered, covered, covered by the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He has carried my sins far away. Living, He loved me. Dying, He saved me. Buried, He carried my sins far away. Rising, He justified freely forever. One day, He's coming, Oh glorious day. That's what celebrating the Lord's Supper is all about. This morning we're going to do something a little bit different. Uh, As a matter of fact... uh